0: Amen. Praise the Lord. I'll invite you to turn in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 21. I'm going to teach on something that I um, really enjoy teaching on regarding healing, and that was the story in the Old Testament of um, where God healed the people through the, uh, Moses lifting up the, bra- the brass serpent in the wilderness. We'll start in Numbers chapter 21. Um, let's start in verse 4, and it's talking about the children of Israel. It said, And he journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass or encircle the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged by the way or because of the way. I think that's the place where the devil gets a lot of us. We get discouraged in our minds or in our thinking or whatever the case is. Sometimes we get discouraged because the way is longer than we wanted it to be. That seems to be the case here where it says they encircled or encompassed the land of Edom. That means they went the long way around. I don't know about you. Well, I think I do know about you. You're a lot like me. I'd rather take the short way to receive the things of God every time. Wouldn't you? But it's not always the short way that it works. It's not always the most direct route. It doesn't always work overnight like we'd like it to. And very often the devil uses the time involved. And and really, uh, in all the questions that I've been asked about faith, it always comes down to the same thing, and that's when. Anytime anybody's ever had a problem with uh, with uh, receiving from God, anytime anybody's ever had a question because of uh, what they consider to be a delay or uncertainty about uh, is their faith strong enough or all this kind of stuff, it always comes down to one thing, and that's when. It always comes down to time. Time is the only thing that, really, that the devil really has to use. It's the only thing that he has to discourage you. It's the only thing that he has to make you think that it's not working. Because if faith works worked instantly... If every time that we believe that we receive something, we got instant results, then the devil would have no opportunity whatsoever to make us question the results, would he? Now, I, on one hand, it would seem to me that wouldn't that be a great thing? I've used this example before, but in Mark chapter 11, verse 23, where Jesus said, Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire. I'm sorry, I'm quoting verse 24. Uh, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Wouldn't it be great if he said, And shall not doubt in his heart for 30 minutes? We could all hold out for 30 minutes. And I think a lot of times we go into it thinking it's going to be 30 minutes. We'll hear somebody else's testimony. We'll hear the, the great things. And usually the testimonies we hear are people that get quick results. Very seldom do we have somebody give a testimony of having to believe God for something for five years, but praise God, his faithfulness brought it forth. Those are not usually the testimonies of the stories we remember. There are a lot of stories out there like that, but those are not usually the ones that catch our attention. The ones that catch our attention seem to be something like, and the Lord opened my eyes to the truth of the word, and praise God, I got my healing. Well, that implies in many cases, whether it's intended to or not, it implies in many cases you're going to get real quick results. And God never promised you quick results. And the devil will use time every time he has the opportunity. On every occasion that he can, he'll use time to try to tell you it's not working. I think that's what this verse of Scripture is referring to. The soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spoke against God, against Moses. Notice the first thing that happens when people get discouraged because of their way. They change what they say. And that's the end end result Of what the devil is trying to do to begin with. Every question the devil brings to you. Every doubt that he tries to throw at you. Is designed to do one and only one thing. And that is to change what you say. To get you from speaking the word of God. From getting to keep you. From confessing what God's word says is yours. To get you talking about something else. And in this case. As in almost every case I know of. He'll try to use something else. As an excuse or a reason. Or why it's not working in their case Moses was the problem now whether they know it or not whether they stopped to recognize it or not Moses is saved their bacon time after time after time after time after time but whenever something happens to where they don't like it here comes Moses is being the problem because you know folks there's always got to be a problem on the other end it can't ever be me the problem's always got to be you or somebody else And that's the way we think. And the devil will play on that. He'll prey on our our natural inclinations to that end to get us looking away from something that's helpful to speaking against God's word. So the people spoke against God and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this like bread. That's manna. Which was keeping them alive, by the way. We're tired of this stuff. Verse 6, poor translation, but it says, And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. The word sent is not in the causative uh, tense in the original Hebrew. It's in the permissive sense. It literally says, And the Lord permitted or allowed fiery serpents to come in. Now, somebody may think we're playing with words. Well, if the Lord allowed it, then he caused it. No, that's not the way it works. The Bible says God's promise was, If you'll hearken diligently to keep my commandments and walk in my statutes, I'll protect you. The fact is, these fiery serpents have been all over the wilderness for the, for the entirety of the time that they've been out there. It's been several years they've been going through the wilderness on the way to the promised land at this point. The fiery serpents have been there all the time. The question is, why haven't they gotten into the camp before now? Because God protected them. But it's when they rebelled against God, it's when they began to speak against God and speak against Moses, that's when the enemy's uh, messengers of the curse were enabled to come into the camp. So it's not God that made the the snakes come in. It's their own sin. And they recognize that. They come to realize that. They'll confess that. They'll say that in a couple of verses down the way. Uh, The next verse, actually. Verse 7. Let me read verse 6 again. And the Lord sent or allowed fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much of the people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. Notice they did not come and say, God's not fair. They did not say, we don't understand. We didn't do anything wrong. And here God sent these fiery serpents. Now, they know what the problem is. The problem is not God or his actions. The problem is their words, their sin, their transgression. The people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. For they even know what the sin is. Very seldom do we sin and not know what it is. They said, we know what we did. For we spoke against the Lord and against you, Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. Now, God had a way of doing this, but the way that he did it was to instruct us. The Bible says these things are done as types and shadows or as examples, types and examples for us to learn from. So notice the example that he uses. The Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass And put it upon a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Now, why is this story important to us, and what is it that we're to learn from? I'm going to look over to to John chapter 3. If you want to turn there, you can. John chapter 3, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about the importance of being born again and seeing the kingdom of God and so forth. And in the context of this, he said, concerning himself beginning in verse 13 Jesus said and no man has ascended up to heaven but he that came down from heaven even the son of man which is in heaven in other words he's talking about himself having come down from heaven he's identifying himself now notice what he identifies with verse 14 and as moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness in other words he's saying i came down from heaven god sent me down here from heaven for a purpose and here it is just like moses lifted up the serpent In the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that, or so that, here's the result of being lifted up on the cross, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. Now back to Numbers chapter 21. Jesus is identifying with Moses and the serpent of brass in the wilderness. Let's read again what God said for Moses to do to bring deliverance to the people The Lord said, verse 8, to Moses, make thee a fiery serpent, that means a brass serpent, and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone, everybody say everyone, notice nobody is to be left out if they meet the conditions, that everyone, when he looketh upon it, shall live. That everyone, when he looketh upon it, shall live. Now, Jesus is saying, this is a type of me. As Moses lifted up the serpent of brass in the wilderness, so also must the Son of Man be lifted up from the earth. Now get that. Just like Moses, so shall I. Just like Moses lifted up the serpent of brass, so must the Son of Man be lifted up from the earth. In other words, he's saying the same thing that the serpent of brass did in Moses' case for the children of Israel, my being lifted up from the earth. Of course, we know he's talking about the cross. Whether Nicodemus understood that or not at the time, we don't know. We understand, looking back, that he's talking about the cross. Just like Moses lifted up the serpent of brass in the wilderness, my being lifted up on the cross will provide the same results. Those results are eternal life. Now, what was the type that eternal life was illustrated by? Forgiveness of sins and healing of the poisonous snake bites. Forgiveness of sins and healing. And Jesus is identifying with that. He's saying, my being lifted up from the earth on the cross will provide the very same things regarding eternal life, forgiveness of sins, and healing. This fits exactly with what Isaiah said Jesus would do when the Messiah was come. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. That has to do with sin the chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. Same work of Jesus on the cross, same work of crucifixion provides not only for the forgiveness of sins but also for the healing of the physical body. Just exactly what Isaiah said. And Jesus knows this and Jesus understands what he sent for. So he says, just like Moses operated in the wilderness, that's what my being lifted up on the cross will provide. Forgiveness of sins and healing for the physical body. Now, why was forgiveness of sins a part of their issue? Because the whole reason that they're sick, the whole reason the fiery serpents came into the, to the camp and bit people and, and, um, uh, and many of them died, many of them were at the point of death or in the, die, the death process, I guess we could say, was because of their sin. They said so. We sinned. We spoke against God and we spoke against Moses. Help us out of this. We sinned. So not only do they need healing for the physical body, they need forgiveness from their sin. Because if there's no forgiveness of their sin, even if they got healed from the poisonous snake bite, the snakes are still going to be in the camp and still bite them again. Right? So they need not only healing for the body, they need the removal of the serpents, which represents the forgiveness of sins. Now, what's the condition? Well, Moses was told that everyone that is bitten, which means forgiveness of sins and healing as typified by what Jesus identified with concerning his work on the cross, belongs to everyone, everyone, not a few, not a chosen few, not ones that God takes a liking to, but everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. Notice he doesn't say everyone, because God is merciful, everyone shall be healed. He said everyone that meets the condition of looking upon the cross. Or that which represents the cross. In Moses' case the fiery serpent. Everybody that looks on the fiery serpent shall be healed. Everybody that looks on the cross shall be healed. Everybody that looks on the fiery serpent shall have their sin forgiven. Which caused the problem to begin with. Brought the curse upon them to begin with. Everyone that looks on the cross shall find eternal life. What we call eternal life. Really the eternal life is a total package. Spirit, soul, and body. But the church world talks about eternal life just as the spirit of man Uh, Concerning the spirit of man regarding forgiveness of sins. but eternal life is everything. Eternal life is the life of God which chases away the curse, spirit, soul, and body. Are you out there? Everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. When he looketh upon it. Now this word look is an interesting word. Because it it conveys several meanings. First of all, it means to be occupied. To look on the, the serpent, the fiery serpent, means to be occupied and influenced by what you're looking at. In other words, the Bible is saying, the picture of Jesus and his work on the cross is telling us that we can look at what Jesus has provided for us no matter what the condition is in our body, no matter how much they hurt from the poisonous snake bites, no matter how close to death they possibly were. I don't know what the conditions were. I don't know what the the, uh, the symptoms were from having this uh, these fiery serpents uh, biting them. But I can't imagine it would be a pleasant thing. I mean, if people are dying, it's pretty serious. If it's poison, there's going to be some kind of pain, some kind of discomfort, something t- attached to it, it would seem like. Well, whatever those conditions are, no matter how close to death they are, no matter how serious it is, no matter how long they've suffered with it, no matter if they've got one bite or a thousand bites, whatever their condition is, if they become occupied with what they're looking at, meaning the fiery serpent of brass, if they get to looking at the serpent of brass and become occupied and influenced by what they're seeing rather than what they feel in their bodies, they'll live. What does that tell us? That tells us no matter how, how, what the circumstances are, no matter how bad the symptoms may be, no matter how annoying they may be, no matter how frustrated you may be with them because of the length of time you've had them. It means you can look at the promise of God and the work of Jesus, the finished work of Jesus on the cross to such a degree that you become occupied by his work, his finished work, so that you're no longer influenced by the symptoms in your body. Now, the Bible says that's a condition of receiving. Now, think about it regarding forgiveness of sins or what the church will call salvation. The same thing's true. You can hear the the good news of Jesus going to the cross for your sins being preached. You can have the best preacher in the world, whoever that might be. You can have the best preacher in the world declaring in the most forceful terms that salvation is for you. But if you are more occupied with your natural state and your sins and your transgressions and what you perceive to be your unworthiness to come to God, it's not going to work for you, is it? You're going to have to choose to set aside who you are or who you see yourself to be and become occupied with the truth that Jesus died for you, knowing that you were going to be the bad guy you are. And if you're not willing to do that, salvation will never become yours. Now that's true, isn't it? It's absolutely the truth. So there comes a setting aside. If you're going to receive what Jesus did for you and accomplished for you on the cross, there comes a point where you have to set aside what you see, what you feel, or how you perceive yourself and accept the truth of what represents Jesus. Or relating to the cross, Jesus finished work. Another thing that that looking at, looking means, it means to give attention to. Um, well, i tell you what, before I go to that, turn with me over to Romans chapter 4. Let me talk about this occupied and influenced again. Romans chapter 4 tells us the story of Abraham. Beginning in verse 17, this is the promise that Abraham received from God first when he was 75 years old about having a child. Then when he was almost 100 years old, 75 years later, God appears to him again and says, it's time. Well, by that time... Abraham is too old to have children his body doesn't function in that way anymore and so he starts making some excuses and so forth and God says no I made you a promise and I'm going to make it good this time next year you and Sarah are going to have a child so Abraham changes what he does he starts off in faith at age 75 by the time he gets to age 99 he's in unbelief saying well God hey you know you must not understand how things are going here but God turns it around and said, no, I made, I made good on my word. I'm going to fulfill the promise. I, I meant what I said. I'm going to bring it to pass. Even though it looks like it's too, you're too old, look, even though you look to yourself to be too old, even though it looks to you like it's too late in the game to make this happen, my word is still true. So Moses changed, or I'm sorry, not Moses. What's his name? Abraham. Abraham changes what he believes. What does he do? Notice it says in verse 17, as it is written, This is God speaking to Abraham. I have made thee, past tense. If you'll notice every promise of God where it talks about who you are in Christ is a past tense promise. Nowhere does it say I will do something for you. It always says through Jesus something has already been done. In other words, hope looks to the future, but faith looks to the past. Faith says because of what Jesus has finished and accomplished, I have something now. Hope says, well, I hope someday I'll have it. Hope is always looking to the future. Faith says Jesus already did it for me. That's why the Bible says by Jesus stripes you were healed. Then not say by Jesus stripes you're going to be healed. Jesus is not going back to the cross for you. He doesn't have to. He accomplished it all when he went the first time. He's not coming to the earth to minister healing one more time. He's done everything he's ever going to do about your healing because he accomplished it for every person on the face of the earth. So God said to Abraham, before Abraham ever had a child, he said, I have made you the father of many nations. I have made you. It's already been predetermined. I have made you. All you have to do is receive it and accept it by faith, and you can walk in it, which is the way the things of God work in every realm, every area. I have made thee the father of many nations. Before him, one translation says, like unto him, like unto him, who he believed, Even God who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things that be not as though they are or though they were. Literally what this says in another translation, and I really like the other translation a little better. It says that Abraham was an imitator of God. Well, you can't imitate God by quickening the dead. That's not in our power. But that's a work that God does is make dead things alive. That helps uh, Abraham because he needs his body to be made alive in the area that is dead. His reproductive system is dead. He needs that to be alive if he's going to have a child. But then the part that he imitated God about is that God, who's the one that said, I have made thee the father of many nations, Abraham imitated him by calling things that be not as though they were. In other words, he's saying things because God said things that contradict his natural circumstances. Now, the devil will tell you you're lying. The devil will whisper in your ears, just as soon as you start calling things that be not as though they are, the devil will whisper in your ear and say, well, no, you're lying. You know God's not going to bless a liar. And if you weren't saying what God said, you would be lying. But the fact that God said it makes it truth because God cannot lie. So as long as you're confessing the word, and this is where a lot of people miss it, in my opinion, a lot of people try to make up their own confessions rather than saying what the Bible says. And the devil will trip them up on some technicality or some some little fine point about their confession. But if you're saying exactly what the Bible says about you, there is no room for the devil to call you a liar. Or at least there's no room for the devil to convince you that you're a liar. He'll call you a liar, but all you have to do is say, well, I'm just saying what God said. Go take it up with him. That's the end of the story. So here's how Abraham was an imitator of God. He called things that were not as though they were. What did he call himself then? He called himself the father of many nations. Well, physically, he's not the father of many nations. So what makes him the father of many nations? God said he was. God said he was. Now, remember, we're talking about the same thing that uh, Moses referred to the people or, uh, or instructed the people in Numbers chapter 21. Everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon the serpent, the fiery serpent, he shall live. We're talking about looking. So there's part of, here's a part of Abraham's looking. He called things that were not as though they were, that be not as though they were. Who against hope with believed in hope? That's just a King James fancy way of saying without any reason to have natural hope, he had hope in what God said. He believed in hope. What's his hope? That he might become the father of many nations. He believes it by faith, but he's not there yet in the physical or natural realm. So he believes in hope that he might become the father of many nations. What's his hope based upon? According to that which was spoken. So shall thy seed be. He based his hope not on circumstance. Not on the feeling of his body. Not what he could see taking place in his flesh. He based his hope on what God said. God said you will have a child. So shall your seed be. Literally this is referring back to one of the promises God made to him before. Where he said look at the stars of the sky. So shall your seed be. Look at the sand on the seashore. Can you number it? That's how your seed is going to be. Well, you can't have that many children unless you start with one. So Abraham is remembering back, recalling back, and basing his hope on what God has previously said. So shall your seed be. And being not weak in faith. This is going to tell you what weak faith does. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. Weak faith considers the body. If you're not going to be weak in faith, then you're not going to be able to consider your body. That means you're going to have to be occupied and influenced with something else. He didn't deny the condition of his body. He's just not influenced by it. He's not influenced by his circumstances. Why? Because he's got the promise of God to look at instead. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 a, a years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. I like the revised standard version. Or, uh, I'm sorry, it's the American standard version on verse 20. It says, but looking under the promise of God, he staggered not through unbelief. If he's not going to consider or look at his circumstances, if he's not going to be influenced by his natural condition physical condition what is he going to be influenced by he's going to be influenced by what he's looking at but looking at the promise of god he staggered not through unbelief you want to know how to keep from staggering by through unbelief you know how to keep unbelief from holding you back and keeping you from receiving the promises look under the promise of god Keep your eyes fixed on the promise of God. Now, this is exactly what Numbers chapter 21 is talking about. Everyone, when he is bitten, when he looketh upon the fiery serpent on the pole, he shall live. When he becomes occupied with the serpent on the pole that Moses said, God said, is the atonement for them. That which represents the forgiveness of sins and the healing of their physical body. We know that it's a reference to Jesus, even though they didn't at the time. We know it's a reference to Jesus because Jesus identifies himself with it. So looking under the promise of God, or in our case, looking under the cross of Jesus, he staggered not through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Another thing that that the word look look means is it means to give attention. Turn back with me to to, uh, Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20 through 22. Verse 20, my son, attend unto my words. In other words, give attention to them. He didn't say read them. He didn't say listen to them every now and then. He said to give attention to them. Folks, you need to understand something. The promises of God are always the result of hearkening diligently to the word. Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, God's good news concerning Jesus, in other words. For it, God's good news concerning Jesus is the power of God unto salvation. The word salvation means to rescue, deliver, to make safe, to make sound, and to make whole or to heal. The word of God, which reveals to us God's good news about Jesus and what he's done for us, is the power of God to salvation. But it's not the power of God to rescue you or the power of God to heal you unless you give attention to it. The book sitting in your lap will not provide healing power for you. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great if this was a radioactive book, radioactive with the healing power of God? And all we had to do is touch it to ourselves. Oh, man, that just feels so good. I'm glad I'm healed. But it doesn't work that way. It works by getting the word on the inside of you, not the outside of you. So he said, my son, attend. Give attention to my words. That means the word takes first place. Incline your ear unto my sayings. Listen to what the word says. Now, the devil wants you to listen to what he tells you. I can't find a scripture to say so, but I'm pretty well convinced that God gets frustrated listening to his children quote the devil. Because that's what happens with so many Christians. That's the majority of what happens with so many Christians in their lives. They go to God and complain about what the devil has said. Lord, I'm sick. Well, how do you know you're sick? You remember in the garden of eden when adam and Eve fell they were hiding in the bushes god said where are you guys adam says we're over here behind the bush he said, what are you doing over there he said well we've, we're naked and so we were ashamed god said who told you you were naked that's a great question to ask yourself who told you you were sick who told you you weren't having going to have enough money to make it through the month Who told you you were going to fail? Who told you you were unworthy? Who told you? You're not smart enough to come up with this on your own. Somebody had to tell you. No, instead, God says, incline your ears to my sayings. Listen to what I tell you. Never in there in the Bible does the Bible ever say, stand in faith and you'll fail. Never did Jesus show up. Without saying peace be unto you. Never did he once show up among his people. Among his disciples or anyone else. And say well I understand why you're afraid man. It looks tough. No, every time he says fear not. You know how many times fear not is in the Bible? 365. That cannot be coincidental. There's one fear not for every day of the year. Why? Because God's promise is. for deliverance he's promised to rescue you but you got to listen to what he's saying his promise to rescue you or deliver you to heal you is not going to work if you listen to what the devil says my son attend to my words give attention to my words incline your ear unto my sayings let them not depart from before your eyes in other words see yourself with what the bible says is yours the devil tells you you're going to fail trying to get you to see yourself as a failure the devil tells you you're sick trying to, see your, trying to get you to see yourself sick. God tells you you're healed trying to get you to see yourself well. Your choice on what you see. Where it says let, not, let the words not depart from before your eyes. It means see yourself with the promises of God realized in your life. You need to daydream in the Holy Ghost. Seeing yourself with the promises of God realized is a spiritual exercise. It's a godly thing to do. It's acting in an obedience to what God said. Now, when you start doing that, the devil will say, oh, that's never going to happen. Well, how does he know? If he's so sharp, how did he get kicked out of heaven? What in the world should we listen to him about? I mean, he's the ultimate idiot. He had a place with God and he got kicked out. His future is the lake of fire. So we're going to listen to him. Why? Now, he knows that what you're doing contradicts our natural way of thinking. But if he can't stop us from seeing ourselves with what the Bible says is ours, he can't stop us from having it. Because it's a means of giving attention to the word. It's a means of looking at what Jesus has accomplished for us. Let them, my words, not depart from before your eyes. Keep them, my words, in the midst of your heart. How do you keep something in the midst of your heart? By saying them. The psalmist says, write the word of God on the tables of my heart. How do you do that? By speaking. By saying what God's word says about you. The way you change your perception of yourself is by saying what God's word says. If you see yourself as unworthy, if you've been brought up in church and taught that we're a worm, our righteousness is filthy rags and all that junk, then the only way you're going to change that is by saying what the Bible says about you being righteous. I am the righteousness of God. The first time you say it, you'll probably cringe when you do it because you'll feel like you're lying. But if God said it, you're not lying. And God said it. If the doctor has said there's no hope for you, your physical condition is beyond help, medical help, you've got so much time to to live and then that's it for you, the only way you're going to change that is by saying what God's word says about you. Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses and with his stripes, I am healed. First time you say that, first few times you say that, you may th- cringe and your mind is going to be screaming, that's not true, oh, we wish it was true, but it's not true, it's not true, it's not true. But the more you say it, the more your mind will quiet down and come in line with it and you'll, your mind will finally say, yeah, God said that. It's how you renew your mind to the word. You say what God says about you. It's a means of giving attention. It's a means of looking at what Jesus has done. My son, attend to my words. Incline your ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from before thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. Verse 22 tells you why you want to do this. Here's why you want to give attention to God's word. For they, my words, are life unto those that find them. Who finds them? The ones that give attention to it, the ones that incline their ear to his sayings, the one that keeps them before their eyes. The ones that keep them in the midst of their heart. Those are the ways that you find the word of God. They are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. Notice the healing that comes to your flesh comes by the choice of the individual to give attention to the word. In other words, it's not God's choice or God's decision of whether you're not you're going to be healed. It's your choice and your decision. Because as Paul said, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the word of God concerning Jesus is the power of God unto salvation. It's the power of God to heal. So you have to make a decision regarding the word. You've got to make a decision regarding what the Bible says Jesus hung on the cross for. For the remission of sins, for the healing of the physical body. Now that's what the word says, but you have to make a decision what you accept to be true. Are you out there? Now, one other thing, I want you to turn with me over to Mark chapter 4. I realize we're running out of time, so I'll go through this quickly. But Mark chapter 4, Jesus talks about the the parable of the sower sowing the word. He's talking about how to get results from the word of God. How to get results from the word of God. And he uses it and, and speaks of this as the parable that unlocks all the other parables. In other words, if you understand the principles behind this, you can make any part of the word of God real in your life. He says in verse 13, he's explaining to his disciples what the parable is and what it means. And he said unto them, know you not this parable and how then will you know all parables? In other words, figure this one out and you'll learn the key to all of them. The sower sows the word. And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. How does he do that? By speaking to their minds. He speaks to their minds and influences their decision regarding the word. Same way he attacks you. Same way he attacks me. And these are they likewise, likewise, likewise. In other words, the devil works the same way with everybody. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground who when they have heard the word immediately receive it with gladness and have no root no moisture. One translation says in other words, they don't give attention to the word. They have no root in themselves and so endure but for a time afterward when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake immediately they are offended. They don't continue. They start off with the right thing. They start off with the word planted in their heart, which is their spirit. They receive the word of God. They accept it, but they don't continue in it. They don't continue to give attention to it. They don't speak it. They don't incline their ear to his sayings. They don't keep it before their eyes. They don't keep it in the midst of their hearts. And so it doesn't produce for them. The devil overpowers the truth of the word by speaking to their minds. He influences them and affects their decision, their will concerning the word of God. And it tells us what he uses. He uses affliction or persecution. Affliction means trouble. Sometimes it's people that say, you're not going to believe that faith stuff, are you? And so when affliction or persecution arises, immediately they're offended. Their their will concerning the word of God is influenced by what other people think or the trouble that they find themselves in. And these, verse 18, are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. In other words, they get distracted. They plant the word of God in their heart to begin with. They accept the truth of the word that they hear, but they get distracted by the things of the world around them. And so it chokes out the word. Now, let me ask you a question. Is there anything wrong with the word? The Bible is talking about the sower sowing the seed and the seed is the word of God. Is there anything wrong with the word in either the wayside, the stony ground or the thorny ground? Is the seed not the same as that which produces in the good ground? Is it inferior seed that goes in the first three types of ground, but good seed that goes into the good ground? Folks, I want you to realize something. The word of God is the most powerful thing in the universe. It can change anything. The problem is not with the seed. And the devil knows he can't attack the seed itself because it is unlimited in its potential to produce. So what does he attack? He attacks your, your attention, your, uh, your will. He attacks your inclinations to the word of God through wrong thoughts. By planting wrong thoughts in your mind and influencing you to act on those. The on, in other words, the only way the devil can stop you is to get the good seed unplanted or unattended to. He can either get, dig it up, get you to dig it up. Actually, he can't do it. He has to get you to do it on your own. He either gets you to dig up the word of God through doubts and, and uh, unbelief, or he gets you distracted so that you don't attend to it. Why? Because those that attend to the word of God, the word of God is life to those that find it, those that attend to it, in other words, and health to all their flesh. So the only thing he can do is distract you Try to keep the word of God from being firmly planted and attended to in good ground. That's all he can do. He doesn't have the power to overcome the word. And it all comes down to the will of the individual. It's not the will of God. God's will is for his word to produce in every area just the same. His word is just as powerful for you as it is for me. But that doesn't mean you and I have to take the same position in attending to the word. That's our choice. You may make a a choice to attend to the word and I may give up on it. Well, that's not God's problem. It's not the word's problem or fault. It's our fault. It's the act of our own will. Now, on the positive side, if you determine to attend to the word, there is nothing the devil can do to stop the word from producing. Because every word of God has the power to produce what God sent it to do. Every word of God. So the fight is in the area of the will. It's in the soul. It's in not allowing the devil to distract us. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, you don't know how long I've been dealing with that. Well, nowhere does the Bible say that the word will produce unless you've had this too long. Yeah, but you don't know the doubts and the thoughts that are coming to my mind. The Bible doesn't say the word will produce unless the devil really attacks you strong. The Bible says the word will produce in every case and every situation. It comes down to your willingness to attend to the word. And that's what he tells us in the good ground. Here's the, the good ground and how it works. He said in verse 20, And these are they, these are they, he's talking about people, these are they which are sown so on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it. Luke eight fifteen says keep it. They receive it or they keep it. They attend to it. They look. Under the promise of God like Abraham did and not to their circumstance, not to their affliction, not to the pains in their body. They're influenced by what God said and not by their circumstance. No matter how severe those circumstances might be. These are they which are sown on good ground such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit. Some thirtyfold, some sixtyfold and some a hundred. In other words, you can produce the results according to your own choice. The more you attend to the word, the more fruitful it'll be. You can attend to the word a little bit and get one-third results. You can attend to the word a little bit more and get two-thirds results. Or you can attend to the word completely and get complete results. Your choice. The word will produce based on the attention that it's given. Therefore, the, the fruit that's produced or the promises of God that are realized in our lives are dependent on us and not on God. Jesus goes further and says in verse 26, Jesus said, I love this verse of scripture. Please get this. Jesus said, So is the kingdom of God. In other words, everything that God has provided, everything that Jesus died for you to have, everything healing, forgiveness of sins, uh, financial well being, well being in every area, everything that brings victory in every total, uh, total victory in every area of life, every bit of it is part of the kingdom of God. It's where God rules, it's where God reigns. Jesus said, so is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground. Well, we know what the seed is. The seed is the word. How do you cast the seed into the ground? The ground is the heart, the spirit of man. How do you cast the word of God into your spirit? By speaking it. So let's substitute that to get what he's saying. So is the kingdom of God as if a man should speak the word into his own heart or his own spirit. The whole kingdom of God works this way, folks. By speaking God's word into your spirit. Everything about God's promise, everything about Jesus and what he accomplished, every promise of God is realized the same exact way, and that is by speaking the word of God into your own spirit. That's why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the good news of Jesus. For it is the power of God unto salvation. How is the word of God the power of God unto salvation? Because the whole kingdom of God is is as if a man should speak the word of God into his own spirit. Every part of God's deliverance is by speaking his word into your spirit. Every part of God's health is by speaking the word into your spirit. Now, folks, if the Bible is true, if Jesus told us the truth, there is nothing that cannot be overcome. There is no sickness that cannot be overcome. There is no disease that cannot be overcome because every bit of the kingdom of God, which includes total healing for the physical body, as well as forgiveness of sins or remission of sins, literally every bit of it. Comes by speaking the word of God into your own spirit. And that depends on you. And you can do that if you're. Even if you're in the midst of the devil's attack. You can do that no matter what your circumstances are. You can do that no matter how bad the pain is in your flesh. You can do that no matter what is going on around you. You choose to do that or not. The word always works. When you work it. So is the kingdom of God. The whole kingdom of God is this way. It's as if a man should speak the word of God into his spirit. Now notice verse 27. And should sleep and rise night and day. In other words you're not going to get instant results. You shouldn't expect to get instant results. But you will get results. Whatever God promised you can get. And should sleep and rise night and day. And the seed, the word should spring up, spring and grow up in his heart or in his life, he knoweth not how. I love that phrase. You don't have to know how it's going to work for it to work. There's a a missionary friend of mine, Ralph Hagemeyer, who's in uh, Africa. He used to be in Tanzania. Now I think he's in Zaire. He has to keep moving around because of all the terrorism and stuff like that. But anyway, um, he said that when God first sent him to... uh, Uh, To Africa, he didn't know where he was going, and so he told the Lord. The Lord put on his heart and said, "I want you to go to Africa and be a missionary." He said, "Well, Africa is a big place. Where am I supposed to go?" And the Lord didn't tell him. So he said, "Lord, I don't know where I'm going. I'm going to get a uh, a ticket to to go to Africa, but I don't even know where to get a ticket for." Lord said, "Go to Africa." He said, "Well, I don't know where to go. I mean, do I go to Southern Africa? Do I go to Northern Africa? Do I go to West Africa? Do I go to East Africa? Where do I go?" Lord said, "I told you to go to Africa." And so he was complaining about it and he wouldn't buy his ticket and he was complaining about it to the Lord back and forth and he came to the place where the Bible t- says and the Lord, uh, somebody else was ministering his service and it says of Abraham that God led Abraham into a land that he knew not. And God spoke to his heart and said, I use no knots. He said, okay, Lord, I got it. Next day he went to Africa or bought his ticket to Africa. Started making plans to go. God still uses no knots. So is the kingdom of God. If a man should speak the word of God into his spirit. And should sleep and rise night and day. And the word should spring and grow up in his life. He knoweth not how. He knoweth not how. Folks that's good ammunition for when the devil comes to you and says. Well how is this going to work? Who cares? Don't even deal with the issue. Doesn't matter. I don't have to know how. I just know that it works. He knoweth not how. See, folks, looking at the Word of God, looking at the promise of God, looking at the atonement which represents Jesus and all of the blessings that we have because of Jesus' finished work come because you give attention more so than any other thing to the Word of God. Now, why do we give that kind of attention? Because we have expectation that God's Word will come to pass. Because we have expectation. Because Jesus is the anchor of our soul through our hope. We have a hope in God's word. Smith Wigglesworth made a statement one time. He said, some of the strongest times of faith that I've ever had is when I came to the Lord and I said, Lord. I don't feel strong. I don't have any reason to feel strong. I'm simply relying on your word and your faithfulness to honor it. That's all I've got. I just believe you're faithful to keep your word. And if you think about it, that's the strongest place of faith you can be. Because it means no matter your circumstance, no matter what you feel about it, no matter anything else that's going on, what you're relying on, what you're basing your your faith and your hope on, is that God will honor his word. Folks, God's word is true. It has never failed anybody. I don't care what testimonies you've heard. I don't care what anybody's ever said. Well, I tried that faith stuff and it didn't work. If they tried it, it wasn't faith. Because faith is not something you try. You remember Yoda and the Star Wars thing? Try not. Do. Faith is something you act on. It's not something you try. It's something you act on. It's a decision you make. God's word is true. So I'm going to hold on to it no matter what. So is the kingdom of God. The whole of the kingdom of God is this way. So is the healing power of God. As if a man should speak the word of God into his own spirit. He may sleep and rise night and day. And that word is working springing up and growing in his life he doesn't even have to know how but it's at work let's pray father thank you so much for your word thank you that it's true thank you that we have the privilege to speak the word of god into our own hearts and see the kingdom of god realized in our lives thank you father that healing is ours because jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses and with his stripes we are healed we choose therefore father to be occupied and influenced by your word to look under your promise and jesus finished work in our lives Thank you, Father. No matter the symptoms, no matter the circumstance, no matter the attack of the enemy, your word prevails. We choose to keep the word of God planted in good ground. We choose to continue to speak it and therefore attend to it. And we thank you that that word is springing up and producing divine health in each and every one of our lives. We thank you, Father, that your will, your absolute will for each and every one of us is that we be perfectly healed and restored from every circumstance, every symptom, every sickness, every disease. Not one trace of sickness and disease left upon us. We thank you, Father, that the word of God is at work in our bodies, producing that result. In Jesus' precious name. Can you agree with that prayer? Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us.